Let's go again to our Heavenly Father and ask Him to bless the reading and the preaching of His Word this morning. Father, thank You for bringing each of us here this morning. Lord, we ask that You would help us to hear what Your Word has to say to all of us. Make it clear what the message of these texts that You have inspired and given to us is for all Your people. And Lord, we pray too that you work through your spirit in each of us to help us hear what your message is to each of us individually. Speak to us through your word, speak to us through your spirit, help us to hear, to listen, to receive, to obey. Amen. So we're working through a I Am Not My Own sermon series, and we're working mostly with texts that are a prologue to the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy. So, so the few verses that we almost always skip over when we're going to look at the Ten Commandments, but, but verses that really situate God's law, that tell us a lot about the relationship God intends to have with His people, and that really tell us a lot about our identity, tell us about who we belong to, how we belong how we are to live. So this is a, a sermon series about how we are not our own, but we belong to the Lord. And so it's an invitation to accept the identity the Lord has, has made for each of us instead of wandering off and creating our own identities. This morning, we're going to read from Deuteronomy 5, and the, the screen actually isn't right. We're going to read from Deuteronomy 5 and Romans 6. Uh, the words will be right on the screen. If you want to follow along in the Bible and the benches, you're welcome to grab those. So we're going to read two verses from Deuteronomy 5 and then turn and read from Romans 6. Hear the word of the Lord. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And then I invite you to turn also to Romans 6, and we're going to read the first 10 verses of that chapter. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. This is the word of the Lord. So we're going to do something a little bit different from usual this morning. We're going to have kind of a long, slow build of, of a number of preparatory steps before we really get to the message of these texts. But I think taking kind of that long way around is going to actually help us to hear the text better. 
So we're going to start by talking about ice cream flavors and hypogousia. And I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that second one right. I'm sure I'm getting the first one right. But ice cream flavors and hypogousia. So we live in Lombard, and my family and I, along with Laura's brother and his whole family, a few weeks ago, we went to the Rainbow Cone ice cream store on Roosevelt Road for the first time. And, and they have maybe a dozen flavors of ice cream and a whole bunch of different kinds of donuts and, and shakes and all the different ice cream and donut sorts of things. And we were there with four adults and seven kids, and none of us had been there before. So you can imagine some of the chaos of, well, what about that ice cream flavor? What about that ice cream flavor? Mommy, I like that one. Do they have that one? And we have a peanut allergy in the family. So for one of our children, we had to say, okay, you want that one? Does that have peanuts in it? Okay, you can't have that one. What about this one? And then we all get our ice cream and our donuts. And, and you know, most of us like what we got because we all kind of know what our tastes are. And I, I really like this type of ice cream, so I tend to go for this. And they really like that time, so we tend to go for that. A, a couple of us got the famous rainbow cone where they give you like six flavors all stacked on top of each other. And, and it was good. It was good. And I would guess that most of us have particular, particular ice cream flavors, particular things that we say, if I could get that flavor, if I could only eat that flavor or those two or three flavors for the rest of my life, these are the ones I would pick. Keep that in mind. Now, hypogousia, hypogousia is, is a syndrome or a situation where you lose some, not necessarily all, but some of your sense of taste. So maybe there are certain flavors that you can no longer taste or can't taste for a while, or, or maybe you lose your ability really to taste food at all. Nothing has changed with, with the reality that the taste is there, but you just don't respond to it anymore. Even your favorite flavor of ice cream, even the best flavor in the world, isn't going to do anything for you. All right, ice cream flavors and hypogousia. And now we're going to talk about moral foundations. Jonathan Haidt, in a book I've referred to a number of times throughout this sermon series, talks about six moral foundations, what he calls six moral taste receptors. So six values, six things that lie at the foundation of morality that, that maybe we have a taste for, or maybe we don't. And he lays out six. We're going to run through those six just briefly. And, and it's not so important that you get the details about each of the six as, as that we just sit in this idea that maybe we have, we have particular things morally that maybe speak to us, that maybe we have taste receptors for, or we don't. So the first foundation that Haight talks about, and I'll give you some examples from him as we go through this, is care. We, we think that we should care. So if you see a picture of a child, or you see a picture of a baby seal, you might think that should be kept safe from harm. We, we should care for the vulnerable. And this is true. And another one that he talks about is, is fairness. Fairness versus cheating. And we all, I think we all intuitively would say, yeah, things should be fair. If someone at work really helps you out and manages to get you a few extra days of vacation when you really needed it, then we think it would be fair. It would be right. It would fit for us then to help them out when they came with the next favor and not just pawn them off with a little, well, thanks for that. We think things should be fair. We morally respond to that taste. And then liberty. Liberty, and this especially in our culture, we, we respond to liberty. We, we hate oppression. We want authority properly limited. We want people to be able to be free. 
And the example that Haight gives in his book is of, of alpha chimpanzees who, who get really bossy and they keep everyone else in order. But if they get too bossy, then all the other chimpanzees gang up and they beat up the alpha and they chase him away or they maybe even kill him because he's, he's curtailed their liberty too much. Care, fairness, liberty. And then there are three more, and I'm going to tell you at the end how these three are different, but there's three more. See if these resonate with you. See if you have a taste for these. The fourth taste is loyalty, a sense of belonging to a team or a people group or a nation, and a sense of of disliking people who are not part of that team, nation, people group, and a sense that betrayal is one of the worst things you can do. Dante's Inferno is the classic, classic medieval literature work, and and in that, Dante has these levels of hell that he assigns sinners to, and he puts real people in them, so it was quite the shocking thing when he wrote it a few hundred years ago. But in the lowest circle of hell, the worst circle of hell, he puts the traitors, the people who were not loyal. They belong at the very bottom. The fifth, the fifth moral taste, authority, authority. And authority, if we have a taste for that, we want, we want someone or some group to, to control the chaos in the world, to provide good order. And hate for this example goes back to chimpanzees and talks about it. Actually, it's really beneficial for groups of chimpanzees to have an alpha male, to have somebody who makes sure that other people don't get too, alpha, too well, other people, other chimpanzees, they're people to some but who makes sure the other chimpanzees stay in line and breaks up fights or or stops fights when they get to a certain point. There is real value to to the group to have an authority figure. And then sanctity. Sanctity, and almost without exception, I think we could even say without exception, human societies have always had some things that they considered clean, holy, pure, and some other things that they considered degrading, unclean, unacceptable. If you've been following the news the last little bit, there is, there's a place in India where they have built a Hindu temple on the site of an old Muslim mosque, and it seems like what the Hindu strategy is, is to intentionally degrade and pollute the mosque and make it holy for Hindus and say, in the end, our religion, our culture is holy and yours is unclean. So here are six moral foundations, six things you might have a taste for, care, fairness, liberty, loyalty, authority, sanctity. And Jonathan Haidt, when he put together this list, he did a lot of research. He has a website that they've had thousands of people take surveys. And what they very consistently find, and he might be wrong, but what they very consistently find is that people who are politically liberal, people at least in the United States who are politically liberal, really have a taste for care, fairness, and liberty. And people who are politically conservative have a taste for those three, but less so in comparison to also having a very strong taste for loyalty, authority, and sanctity. So people who are stereotypically liberal, like Jonathan Haidt, as he self-professes, really get into fair, careness, and liberty, and just don't find themselves all that attracted by, by the values of loyalty, authority, and sanctity. Whereas people who are more politically conservative tend to resonate with all six, but none of them quite so intensely. Now, I said we were going to take a long way around, and here's the payoff to this. That we do, we do all have different moral taste receptors. There are things, and if we spent some time working through each of those one-on-one, I think there are probably some that you would really be like, yeah, yeah, that matters. And others that you would care about less. Or maybe you'd be one of those people who thinks all of them run about equal. But all of us, 
have a different flavor of moral ice cream that we prefer. All of us have a, have a certain mix of, of flavors that we think, this, this is right, this is how it is, and that I don't care so much for. But the next step I think we need to take is to recognize that because of sin, because of evil in the world, because we are fundamentally not how we were made to be, all of us are missing taste receptors. We have the wrong taste for these things. We, we taste them in the wrong way, or, or we don't care about things that we should care about. And so when we, when we look at moral situations, when we think about laws and rules and how people ought to be, we should expect as broken human beings that our intuition is wrong. Maybe not entirely wrong, maybe not wrong all the time, but we should be asking ourselves, what moral taste receptors are we missing? What are some things that we should feel strongly about, that we should respond to with, with disgust and dislike, but because something is wrong with us, we just don't have a taste for that? And what are some things that we should find really appealing, that we should, we should be attracted to morally, that because of, well, because we're, we're born in sin because of our life experience, because of our cultural background, because of our, our genetics or our family growing up, or because of whatever, we're just missing the taste for that. What I want to get all of us to is to a point where we can simply be humble and recognize that maybe the way we feel about things, or maybe the way we think about things, does not actually match reality. Maybe the things that we feel good or feel bad about aren't actually what we should feel good or feel bad about. Maybe we get it partly right and partly wrong. And the way to arbitrate our disagreements, the way to figure, figure out what is actually morally right is not just to pound at each other and beat on each other and say, well, this, this is what tastes good to me, so get in line. Maybe what we need to do is listen to the Lord. Listen to the one who made us, who shaped this whole universe, who shaped us, and who tells us what is right. So now we're going to switch from some of that long intro that I talked about, and we're going to talk specifically about freedom today. The title of the sermon is Liberation, and I'm, I'm going to switch to freedom just because when I put this together, I kept writing freedom instead of liberation, so I thought I'll just change. Same meaning, but freedom. And I think we today, we today have a very strong taste for freedom. We have a strong taste culturally for liberty, for the individual. But I think that that taste is missing some things. So let's talk about that. We'll talk first about freedom from. And this, this probably activates all of our taste receptors. Yeah, freedom from. We all want to be free from the bad things. And here in Deuteronomy 6, freedom from is a huge theme. Deuteronomy verse six, or chapter 5, verse 6 says, I am the Lord your God. Who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And that's a significant event that shapes the story of God's people all the way to today. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And the Exodus, liberation, freedom from is something we should still be looking back on. We should still be excited about that. We should, we should celebrate it. And in fact, a number of books over the last few years, Tom Holland's Dominion book is the most significant, but, but a number of books have traced out how the Christian story, how the Christian gospel, and it getting worked out in, in culture, have brought incredible freedom like no other religion, no other culture, no other movement has ever provided for. 
We are so much better off. All of us in the world, every human being, is so much better off because Christianity, because God's law, because God's ways have been active in the world the last number of centuries. Freedom from is a powerful biblical theme that we should celebrate. But we misunderstand what freedom is if we reduce it just to this one flavor of freedom from. Because you see, if all we want is freedom from, we just, we just go from oppression to oppression. I could give you any number of examples, but the one that came to mind this week was Nigeria, where we lived for a few years. And, and for centuries, there were different tribal groups that, that conquered other tribes and put them down and oppressed them and, and really made sure that they stayed down. And then England came along and colonized. And Nigeria became an English colony, and, and a lot of those lower tribes got lifted up, and some of the more powerful ones got squashed down, and, and there was a new system of education, there was a bit more equality. But at the end of the day, Nigeria was a colony, and so it was administered for the benefit of England, not of Nigeria. So in 1960, Nigeria becomes free again. It throws off the, throws off the shackles of colonialism, and then... And then things get worse instead of better. Because now there's small groups, and it's back to those old tribes. It's back to those powerful old tribes that, that figure out how to manipulate the new system, and they take over, and, and literally hundreds of billions of dollars over the last few decades have gone into the pockets of the privileged few, the oppressors. We all want freedom from, but if all we pursue is freedom from, that just brings us to slavery after slavery after slavery. These days here in North America, we have the most wealth and the most freedom of any people ever. And what do we use it to do? We use it to indulge ourselves. We use it, we use it to consume and consume and consume. We have freedom from external restraint, and so we, we kill ourselves slowly by overeating and overindulging in every possible way. We are free from Egypt, but we just pick different slave masters. So the Lord sets us free, but along with setting us free from, well, he sets us free, free from evil. Not just from the latest political oppressor, but he sets us free from evil. And that means the Lord sets us free from external evil. And, and as I've talked about with Christianity, a force in the world the last couple millennia, the world has advanced beyond what it ever saw before. But the Lord also sets us free from the evil within us. Romans 6 talks about how we were buried with Christ so that we could stop sinning, so that we could be free from the death that sin brings. So the Lord gives us freedom, and it's not freedom from whatever current oppressor we think we have, it's freedom from evil itself. And he gives us freedom too. And this is not undirected freedom, it's freedom to follow the Lord. Freedom from is always freedom too. And at this point, I can see that a number of you have kind of gone, no, uh-uh, don't like that. We have a strong taste for freedom too. It does not compute to us that freedom too is always, or freedom from is always freedom too. We think, we feel, it feels right just to say I can do whatever I want, but, but the Lord always sets us free from evil to follow him. And we rebel at this. We don't have much of a taste for, for authority in our culture. But, 
But deep down, I think we know this, and most peoples throughout world history have known this, that you're going to serve somebody. It's just a question of who and how. Bob Dylan has a, a classic song, Gotta Serve Somebody, that the chorus goes, but you're going to have to serve somebody, yes indeed. You're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And you're going to have to serve somebody. It might be yourself, your own worst desires. It might be a political cause. It might be a national cause. It might be a cultural. It might be whatever, but you are going to serve somebody. The only question is who. And what the Lord God tells us here in Deuteronomy 5, 7 is that we rest off serving him. You shall have no other gods before me. The Lord comes to us and he tells us that he frees us from slavery to be his people, to follow him as our God. The Lord sets us free. Romans 6 gives us this image of death and life, and, and baptism picks up on that image and shows us that, that the Lord brings us through death and on into life, but that life has a certain shape. The Lord brings his people through the Red Sea, through, in the Exodus, through the waters of death and on to Mount Sinai where they receive the law, where they are told this is what life looks like. We talked a couple weeks ago about the negative use of the law, where, where God gives these commandments to show us that we can't be good enough and we need him, but there's also a positive use of the law. There's a use of God's law where God comes to us and says, this is what, this is what the best possible life looks like. And I want you to think about going to Deuteronomy 5 later today and reading through the Ten Commandments and, and thinking about what it would look like to actually live a life that, re, that reflected, maybe even that resembled the Ten Commandments. To live a life where you are totally in tune with the Lord and, and totally safe in Him. To live a life where you know that you belong to Him, that He is your God and you are His beloved child. And to live a life where, where you and all the people around you didn't hurt or harm each other. Where people kept their promises and were always faithful. Where nobody was grabbing or grasping after what other people have. Imagine living in a world where that was true of all the people around you, that no one was out to take advantage of you, that no one even wanted to hurt you, that no one was, was looking over your shoulder and trying to steal your stuff. Can you even imagine living in a world like that? And can you imagine being a person like that, a person who was, who was entirely secure, whose, whose very desires were, were oriented in a way that kept bringing you to better and better life instead of hurting you and hurting other people? I mean, can you imagine a life like that? And that is the life that God has set us free to. We do it imperfectly in this life, but that, that is what God calls us to, to this positive use of the law, to this picture where, where we can see everything lined up and everything going just right. And I can hardly even imagine that. I can hardly even imagine. I certainly can't think of a time in my life when everything worked that way. But think about that. What a life that would be. And even if we don't initially grab onto that, I think we all, we all buried somewhere in our hearts have a taste receptor for that life. For the law, for, for following God, for doing what God has called us to do so that we can live in that harmony and peace that, that always eludes us. That is what the Lord gives to us through his law 
and through Christ. So freedom from always leads to freedom to, and we're going to wrap up with freedom for. Freedom for. And freedom, I thought about a couple different ways to put this, but I went kind of long. Freedom for glory, good, and growth. The Lord sets us free to serve Him so that we can participate more and more in His glory. If you think of the Trinity from all eternity, that, that life that I just described where, where everyone lives in harmony, where all things are well, where no one is trying to take advantage of other people, but they are giving and giving and giving, that is the life the three persons of the Trinity have enjoyed with each other from all eternity. The fundamental reality beyond our cosmos, the deepest thing there ever could be, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living lives of self-giving love. And that is truly glorious. And that is what the Lord invites us into. When the Lord delivers His people from Egypt, that is a step on the process that, that will continue through the whole history of this world and only be made perfect in the new heavens and the new earth, when the Lord will draw us up into that kind of life, that kind of glorious perfection where we will be all giving and giving and giving and all our needs will be met by others and it will be perfection like we can never even dream of. That is what God sets us free for. And where that leads us is not to seek our own good, but the good of others, to, to be so well provided for through what the Lord gives to us that we can give everything we have away and not care because we have what we need for glory, for God's glory, for others' good, and then for our growth. You know, so often the things that we think we want in this life, so often the things that feel good actually aren't that good for us. Ice cream is wonderful, but you overeat and you will, not, you will not feel good then or later. Our taste receptors are messed up, so what we want isn't necessarily what is best for us. But, but in Jesus Christ, the Lord is at work to reshape us so that what we want and what we need and what will really help us grow and thrive will all be the same thing. And so I urge you to accept God's call to, to be free from Egypt. To be free from whatever is enslaving you. To be able to put those things aside and recognize that the Lord provides something more, even for you, even today. And don't, don't use your freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want, but, but take that next step and, and embrace the pattern that the Lord has given us for our lives. Recognize that the Lord has brought you out of death and brought you into life, and so you can live more fully. And recognize that in God's grace, God is not, as we often picture Him when we read the law up there, just laying out random rules so these people do what they're told. The Lord is giving us a picture of what real abundant life looks like. And He is bringing us into that picture. And so I want to invite you today to really ask yourself, what, what does appeal to you? When you have that intuitive sense of what life should be like, when you have that, that moral taste, what do you want? And is that really what's best for you? Are your taste receptors in line with reality or are you, are you just eating yourself to death on what the world provides? The Lord has more. The Lord has more to give to us. We've lost our taste for it, but he comes in Christ to restore us and to bring us back. So, so I invite you into real freedom, 
and not just the small slice of freedom that our, our culture and our, our personality and our whatever brings us to, but the full picture of freedom that the Lord gives to us. In Christ, we are set free from sin and death and free into life, into glory, into goodness and growth. Take a taste. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father, we're all messed up and turned around. What we think we want, what we want, is often not so good for us. The picture that we see of the good life is, is missing and smeared and darkened and ripped up. But Lord, it's so hard for us to change. Lord, we pray, we pray at the deepest levels of our being that you would change what we desire. Help us to accept the terrible news that we are broken and evil and sinful and dead. And so help us to accept the good news that in Jesus Christ we are healed and restored and made right and brought to life. Lord, all of us all the way through this life resist you and turn away from you and let you down. And we are, we are grateful for your salvation, for your ongoing forgiveness. And we pray that you reshape and remake us. We pray that you work from the depths of our being into our day-to-day -day actions and transform us entirely to be the people you call us to be. And we pray all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.